Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Greetings, fans of the esoteric, and welcome to Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer. Chapter... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've, I've lost track. Well, the trouble is, I've just named the chapters yes. instead of putting a number. Yes, so it's, I don't know if that's more or less confusing than the I last one. I don't know. Right? Well, it, it's called Secrets and Pies, this right. chapter. Well, we'll work with that. It's rather good, isn't it? That's secrets very, and Pies. It is rather very good. Very good. I bet there's no pies or secrets in this entire chapter, then. Well, let's find out. Yes, let's find out. It's so nice to relax, I sigh, plopping my feet on Bernard's lap as I join him on the couch with a tray of dinner. Bernard starts massaging my legs as the opening credits begin, his hands stroking and kneading. Is it kneading? What do you do to bread? Kneading, yes. Right. Kneading. Kneading. I smile and work my foot into his crotch. Dave is asleep on the rug. We've just been out on a long, exhausting walk, which nowadays involves an enthusiastic non-stop litany of smells, impressions and deductions, so he'll be fairly quiet for the rest of the evening, bar a brief spot of territorial barking in the garden. And around 10.30, as is tradition, we'll have a quick cuddle before bed, during which Dave will mentally bombard me with sleepy messages of love. Sometimes the feelings and sentiments that Dave communicates to me are almost romantic in nature. Not sexual, I hasten to add, but certainly swoony and intense. I always suspected as much, but it's rather disconcerting to actually hear it. But for now, all is quiet. He's turned his sense of smell off so he can snooze, and his little paws are twitching as he solves another dream crime. I feel calmer than I have for a while. After Sandra left earlier, I realised I'd have to stop seeing Eldris. I've become too interesting to the police. I'd be holding for questioning, and who knows how that would end. I'll only be communicating with the police by anonymous letter from now on, if and when I receive new information from my canine network. It'll simplify my life considerably, though I will miss the frisson of meeting up with old hunky chops. How's work at the moment? I asked Bernard, concerned that Roger might be making things difficult for him. Fine. Bernard says cheerfully, still thumbing my calves. Good, actually. Yeah, I meant to tell you, Roger spoke to me today about taking on extra responsibilities. He asked how I feel about the occasional business trip. What? I say, sitting up. Business trips? Where to? Bernard grimaces. Well, we only really operate within the Middle East, so... Not just the Middle East, Bernard. The most dangerous, unstable parts of it. I inhale sharply as the thought occurs. Roger's trying to kill you. Bernard puts a firm hand on my shoulder and looks me in the eye. Don't be silly. We send people over there all the time in all sorts of capacities. You're an accountant, Bernard. Why do they need an accountant in the middle of a war zone? I oversee the end-to-end operational process, Magenta. It's not unheard of for someone like me to go into the field. Bernard insists, meaninglessly. Well, to me, anyway. And I'm sure they wouldn't put me in any danger. There's a tense silence while I ruminate. Do you want to do it? Because I don't see that it's necessary, I persist. Maybe not. Bernard says, pushing me gently back into the sofa and resuming the massage. But it might mean more money. I don't want you to do it, Bernard, I say stiffly. I'd worry. Bernard reaches further up my leg and squeezes my thigh. Then I'll tell him no, he says, simply. 
We watch the TV for a while, although I'm unable to concentrate. The action passes in a blur of wise guys and ultraviolence while I brood. I don't want to tell you what to do, Bernard, I blurt as a man on the screen gets half his head blown off by a shotgun. It's your job, your decision. Bernard turns to me again, soft brown eyes creasing at the corners. And you're my wife. We're a team, he says, which means we should try not to do anything that upsets the other one. Bernard turns back to the TV contentedly, and my throat constricts with emotion. Such a good man! I'm so lucky! Not that I'd tell him, of course. Don't want him getting big-headed. I always do my best not to upset you too, Bernard, I say sincerely. Bernard suddenly grabs hold of my legs and swings them off his lap, and for a millisecond I envisage him roaring, You're lying to me! I know all about Eldris! But instead... He takes me in his arms and buries his face in my neck. Enough. His muffled voice insists gruffly, his hands running shivery trails down my back. Oh, I'm ever so ticklish. You're too distracting tonight, my dear. Let's take our clothes off and rub our bits together. Ooh. I stroke the nape of his neck and chuckle. Bernard's honey words always work on me. Without warning, I freeze in Bernard's embrace, my body locked with anxiety. Bernard picks up on it immediately and draws away, looking into my eyes questioningly. Are you all right, love? Yes, of course. Cramp in my toe, that's all. Keep going. Bernard tries again, murmuring endearments. I should say that Bernard's honey words used to work every time. Whereas nowadays, whenever I've had to relate a new crime to Eldris and neglected to tell Bernard, I haven't been able to get aroused for days. This provokes a second wave of guilt, as not only am I withholding information from him, I'm also rejecting him in the boudoir. He's never pushed me, never made me feel pressurised, but I'm horribly aware of it. But no more. Something has to change. The next time a dog tells me something crime-related, I'll tell Bernard straight away and we'll write the letter together. It'll be a fresh start. Although there's no point ruining a tender moment by bringing it up now, I think, as Bernard's hands and mouth become more insistent. My undercarriage throbs in agreement, an involuntary action I note with considerable relief. Crikey, it's getting a bit personal. I'll draw a discreet Mills and Boone veil over what happens next. If you want muck, I suggest you head for the internet or your own imaginations. Dirty bastards. Well, that Blimey. was a saucy one, wasn't it? I wasn't aware that you'd written that down, actually. No, I hadn't. You know, there's a difference between writing it and just sending it into the ether for people to read and then actually having to read it actually, out loud. narrating it seems I mean, rather... talking about my own throbbing undercarriage. It's goodness a... me. Well, goodness, yes. I don't even want to acknowledge I've got an undercarriage in, in public normally. Should we should we do a palate cleanser? I mean, and do it, it another wasn't chapter. Particularly long. We could do another. Okay, one. right. The next chapter is called Mudder. That's spelled M U H D U H. Yes, it's it's uh, the Scottish pronunciation. Correct. Yes. Mudder. Mudder. Right. Eldris stood in front of a grim triptych of whiteboards, pictures of the victims spread across them in chronological order. His team sat patiently on fold-out chairs, not exactly hanging on his every word, but at least pretending to look engaged. Even after all this time, Eldris occasionally felt weirded out that his life resembled something off the telly. He wondered if it was the same with doctors in hospitals, if they could hear the casualty theme tune in their ears as they sliced and diced. But he'd been doing this for almost 14 years now. When would he stop expecting Dazeel and Pasco to walk into the room? This self-consciousness had impacted upon his professional behaviour. He hadn't touched a doughnut, either publicly or privately, since his first days on the beat. He was embarrassed by the cliché and wouldn't subscribe to it, but damn it if he didn't really fancy one with his herbal teas sometimes, even if they did give him wind. Eldris grunted, his colon gurgling in agreement. Most things gave him wind. 
The sharp, cramping sensations of acute IBS had become a daily visitor. It might sound funny, ha-ha, bottom trumps and all that, but it bloody well wasn't. It made him grumpy and taciturn, another detective cliché he could do without. Although his efforts to transcend the discomfort gave him a focus on his job that had led to quick progression within the force. So it wasn't all bad. Having said that, some days he'd swap it all just to enjoy a pizza without the bloating and subsequent risk of spray-painting his Calvins. Eldris surveyed the room of coppers. Over the next two days, we need to call every professional psychic in the London area and visit any that fit the victim profile, arranging for the installation of panic buttons for those who request it. There's 163 in the yellow pages alone. No doubt more who work for premium rate numbers as part of a collective. So we'll be adding to the list as new names come up. As such, it's only a matter of time before it leaks to the press. And it's a juicy story. We wanted to avoid media intrusion, but there's no avoiding it anymore. When they come for us, I'll handle it. The rest of you, steer clear and give the usual spiel. Eldris motioned for the list of psychics, mediums, clairvoyants and miscellaneous weirdos to be distributed to the allocated officers. Nobody knew it, but it was short one name. She'd be getting a personal visit from Eldris after lunch. Eldris dismissed the room and watched as they filed out. For an ex-performer, he was rarely showy with his team. No exhortations to go get him or stern reminders of the seriousness of the crime. They were all professionals, all too aware of the criminal apprehension and conviction statistics. They didn't need him acting as head cheerleader. Plus, he'd had some leftover curry for breakfast and he was really paying for it now. Eldris roughly shoved a Wendy's in his mouth and downed it with the habitual mug of orange squash that had become his signature in the department. He always tried to keep as hydrated as possible, but water was so boring he couldn't bear it. What he really craved was a milkshake, but he might as well swill the collected piss and bile of all the crims he'd put behind bars for the vengeance it would wreak on his insides. Why was everything delicious so painful, so out of bounds? God damn it! Eldris shouted, slapping his palm onto the whiteboard in a rage, thinking of all the missed donuts, the forbidden pizzas. He withdrew his hand from the board, and guilt instantly seized him. He'd just face-palmed a picture of Dorothea Wilkins, victim number four of the Arcati Killer. The Arcati Killer. He'd come up with that name himself, revealing it proudly during one of the first briefings. The assembled coppers had stared blankly, not getting the reference. As in... Madame Arcarty. He'd said. You know, from Noel Coward's blithe spirit. She's a medium and a clairvoyant, eccentric, middle-aged, just like the victims. Played by Margaret Rutherford in the 1945 film. The blank faces remained. Margaret Rutherford! Eldris persevered, voice rising in exasperation. The actress who went on to play Miss Marple in the 60s. You know, the elderly lady detective Miss Marple. Oh, come on! At which point, someone had put their hand up to say that none of the victims had been detectives, so it didn't make sense to call the murderer the Marple murderer, and Eldris had given up. He'd refer to the perpetrator as the Arcati killer only to himself. The others could keep calling him the brain burglar like a bunch of goobers. You all right, sir? Egg asked. Oh, God, that's hard to say. Egg asked. Egg asked. Having slipped back into the room, Eldra spun around, realising she'd seen his explosion of milkshake-related anger and had probably attributed it to the fact that they hadn't even come close to catching the killer. I'm frustrated, Egg. Eldra said. He looked at the whiteboard and caught sight of a name. I thought Sandra Herring's description might move things along. He turned back. We need to interview her again, Egg. I got the impression she was withholding information. Do you think she... 
Maybe she found me intimidating. Egg snorted. You mean she found you distracting? But yeah, can't hurt to try. She might even be protecting him. Eldris nodded. Do it today, Egg. We're running out of time. Five murders, evenly spaced over eleven months. I reckon we've got about two weeks before he strikes again. Oh, that's exciting, isn't it? It's not easy doing that 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 gruff Scottish detective accent. I can tell you something. For Is nothing. it not? No, it doesn't. It doesn't come as naturally as I thought it might when I started doing him in that accent. But I'm committed to it now, so I better carry on. Well, it sounds very detective-y, Bernard. Okay. Well, as, if, as long as it's not too distracting, then I'll happily carry on. I mean, I'm, I, to be honest, I am having trouble uh, picturing Idris Elba playing the part uh, with that voice. <laughs> Uh, but but well, he's a very, very versatile actor. I mean, he did a flawless Baltimore accent in The Wire, didn't that's he? That's true, that's true, yes. So, yes, uh, maybe I just need to try a bit harder. But, yes, your face keeps interfering in my fantasy. My face and Idris Elba are, are about as sort of diametrically opposed as they could possibly be. You're both in the same Venn diagram of, of handsomeness, though, Bernard. Oh, well, well, that's very kind. Yes, and, and all you listeners, just insert the, the hunk of your choice into your brain box while you're listening. All right. For both Bernard and Idris Elba. And Eldris, sorry, Detective Eldris, who is in no way based on Idris Elba. Eldris Hebra is his full <laughs> Yes, cunningly disguised, my fantasy there. All right. Uh, see you next week. Oh, actually, also... Uh, uh, so there was no tragic fans this week, was there, Bernard? No, there wasn't. But there will be next week. Uh, if you could send your emails asking for my help for your problems, and hopefully one of the big problems won't be there next week. You That's never know. That's true. You one never of the huge know. orange problems. But I don't want to jinx it. I've just jinxed it, haven't I? Oh, never mind. God. Never mind. Okay, so send in your problems to what's the address, Bernard? Uh, Madame Magenta UK at gmail.com. And we'll do a tragic fans with your letters on Tuesday. And we're also going to have a little extra special something that day, aren't we? Sure, yes. Yes, yes, we are. All right, goodbye. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. The world has still ended. Darcy was a cafeteria worker. Do you see that minotaur sitting out in the food court? What minotaur? Just an ordinary, everyday human, probably. Egerton, you didn't even need a fairy cake. Why did what? you eat a fairy cake? Because I stress eat sometimes. <laughs> Egerton was a PR flack for the imperial government. This extremely devastating explosion was, in fact, a celebration. He's a flightless fairy with a sweet tooth. There were some zombies, but Blatt blew them up. I climbed a tree. And we're Blatt, skipping ahead. And we're skipping well, ahead. Oh, yeah. Blatt used to be a filing clerk. I'll pneumatic tube it up, sir. Now he's discovering the secrets of his half-demon heritage, like his ability to summon a soul-bound weapon. Oh, you're here to destroy time, eh? Well, eat bazooka! <laughs> Three normal dweebs, rescued from the end of the world and sent on a last-ditch quest to save all of reality. There is a way to stop the shattering, but we need you three. The End of Time and Other Bothers, an improvised fantasy role-playing game set in the world of Alba Salix. Find it in your favorite podcast app or visit otherbothers.com. There's no evil, so you're welcome. Flawless logic. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.